Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, and welcome to Spartan Speak, a podcast from the Lansing State Journal and Detroit Free Press focused on Michigan State sports. I'm Phil Friend, your host and sports writer for LSJ. Joining me this week, as always, our LSJ sports columnist, Grant Couch, and Detroit Free Press, Michigan State beat writer, Chris Solari. Gentlemen, you guys are, are back from Penn State, a perhaps surprising result uh, over there for the Michigan State basketball team. Uh, I'll start with you, Chris. How are you doing on this beautiful Thursday afternoon? Hey, I'm doing good. I was able to get my favorite sandwich in the Big Ten uh, in State College. So uh, the Eddie Delicious, if you get there. I won't tell you the restaurant, but you'll have to find it. And uh, named after Ed DeCellis, the former Penn State basketball coach. So, But I'm doing well. Uh, how about you, Graham? How are you doing after that long journey to State College that you made it about two hours before tip-off? I actually... Did this, this went pretty well for me. You know, I risked it traveling day of, and, uh, which is always a risk because there's one flight into State College every day from Detroit, and, uh, and I was on it. So <laughs> it's, it's, uh, I, I, it was an interesting game. It was, um, I think, uh, you know, really the, the latest in a, in a seesaw season like we really haven't seen from this Michigan State program that I think has fans and Izzo frustrated and because usually, you know, normal teams, normal teams have losing streaks. <laughs> normal teams go on winning streaks. Normal teams that have shortcomings, those get played out game after game. This team fixes all of its problems one day, and the next day gets, they all, you know, show up again. I think that has a lot to do with the roster construction and age dynamic of the key players and, and some of the production of the seniors. There are lots of reasons we can get into, but... Uh, I think this was a, a game, certainly, um, I, I, I did not see, for example, until the very last few minutes, Michigan State losing, even when they lost control of it. And I think Kizzo's at a place. I mean, he, for the first time in, in memory, did not make players available. And I think uh, he's at a place where he's at a little bit of a loss, too. Yeah, I think, you know, when you look at big the Michigan State schedule with the Big Ten, I mean, it was so front loaded with the, the lower part of the, the conference that, you know, there, there wasn't a, there was a chance to build rhythm towards that stretch. Uh, then came the loss to Northwestern, which, you know, that, that ended that long winning streak. And it kind of, kind of pointed to a lot of the things that, that have happened since really, even before that, the, the game against Minnesota, um, and the cancellation against Michigan, um, really, I mean, you could put a mark in the sand with the cancellation of the Michigan game because they were playing so well at that point. And the the win streak and the rhythm and the mojo all got disrupted there uh, when you have that kind of emotional high and you're preparing to go to a game and you're there and then it gets pulled out from under you last minute. Uh, I, I, they, I don't know if they've they've recovered from that because it, it's really been up and down since then. It's win-loss, win-loss. Then they won those two games against Michigan and Maryland 
and lost to, to at Rutgers and, and Wisconsin. So uh, it, it's, it really has been a seesaw. And, and this back half of the schedule, I think that's also the frustration somewhat for Izzo as well because you GM that second Michigan game now in the back end of it, of what's already a difficult stretch. So you just look out at those last six games and, and you can see where a performance like what we saw on Tuesday at a collapse like that in the last 13-plus minutes would, would trouble a coach. In some ways, it wasn't. They've done this before. They just didn't lose the game. You know, they 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 had yeah. the big lead against Maryland on the road, and and lost it. And so, I mean, I think those sort of trends are are, are there. They're, you know, it's in that that is the inability to take care of yourself on certain key possessions. You know, that's it's just sweat equity. It's just age. It's you know, I think the hard thing is this is a team that that and you know, I asked Michael Shrewsbury about this, and he he got in to, you know, give a really good answer just on and sort of what we all know, but it's, you know, it, it's, they're relying on younger, less experienced players as their main guys. And their, their veterans really aren't just aren't doing it at the level you need. And, and, that, and that's, you know, a year from now, I mean, I don't, not only do I think Max Christie and Malik Hall will be in different places. Cause Malik Hall has never been, I mean, he, you know, what, what he is being asked to be and what he, what he's been at times this year. But I also think you'll, you'll have more consistency out of the point guard position. Um, you'll have guys who understand when it's time to lock in. And, and um, I, you know, I think right now th- there's just, I mean, you know, for example, if you, if you're looking for the fix for this, like everything, everybody wanted, right. More Malik Hall, more of this more Malik Hall played plenty. He was just not very good. And, and that's, yeah, the the inconsistency of things, and then your veterans, uh, Bingham struggled at times, um, and then Gabe Brown is other than the last eight games, other than the game at Rutgers, averaging six point four points a game. He just that was supposed to be the guy who, while not Denzel Valentine or Cassius Winston, he was supposed to give you. I'll be the guy that takes the shot. I'll be the guy that sort of gives us uh, some bravado and some, some swagger and, and everybody else can fill in as a role as they get more comfortable. And that hasn't happened. And that, that really hurts them. Yeah. And Izzo, even though he told us in the post game that he wasn't, he didn't want to name anybody and wanted to keep it to himself. I mean, in his post game radio interview singled out the seniors in particular. And I think that goes with Bingham Brown and Hauser, um, you know, Hauser, had some energy moments in that game where he was going after the board, but then it stopped. And honestly, I mean, you look at the job that John Herrer did, and that's a guy, and I wrote about this, that he's a guy that Izzo really liked. I mean, he talked about Herrer last year and how much he had improved and how much he respect he had for his game. And then, you know, before the NCAA tournament, when Herrer went into the portal, it, <clears throat> Michigan State reached out to him. And that's the kind of that's what they're missing in the post that Gabe Brown isn't, that Marcus Bingham isn't, that Joey Hauser isn't. I'm sure that probably contributed some to that frustration level as well, because that's the kind of toughness. Shrewsbury had a great quote about John Herrer that I think applies to the other way to the Michigan State players. He said, "It's like a Twitter thing. It's like, did the Celtics win? Yes. Did John Herrer play hard? Yes. It's a given, right? So, you know that that's." I think what is missing with those seniors it's are you getting the maximum effort? He talked about, you know, the, the ball going into the post and ending up with fadeaways. Well, who's that? That's Marcus Bingham. Um, you know, Gabe Brown's not aggressively coming off screens and, you know, not getting open looks and isn't going to the basket and 
Joey Hauser's struggling too. I mean, this is all these leadership points that he talks about that they're missing is that senior group. And, you know, you're going to have nights with Malik Hall um, just because of, he hasn't been in this leadership position before. And like you mentioned, he hasn't been asked to be the alpha. Um, so, and you see it with Christy that his legs are dead. I mean, his shot, I don't know how many times I've seen that guy come up short uh, in the last couple of weeks. And, you know, I think Izzo's right about the guys hit the wall because he's defending everybody's best player too. So I think he's trying to find some answers with that. And it's, 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 it's probably frustrating for fans, but I, I can't imagine what it's like for the coach because he's been able to flip the switch with some guys over the years. I mean, just look a year ago, what, what happened with Aaron Henry down the stretch, put him in a different position, put the ball in his hands more often that offense took off and, and they got into the NCAA tournament when it looked like they were out of it this time of year. So it's, it's trying to find that switch right now. I think for Izzo of who's going to, who's going to be the player on that roster that, that does that, that turns that corner that does what Aaron Henry did a year ago. When you guys listed off the big men, uh, you might could have listed, go ahead and listed Thomas Kippier as well as a guy who wasn't getting it done quite enough in the post to at least make a name when, when he was here. I think they're missing his positional defense and I think they're missing his ability to set screens. Um, you know, Julius Marble, he had a really good game. I thought for probably three fourths of that game against Penn state. And you could tell he tired down the stretch with hair kind of shoving him around a little bit. Um, but you know, what's been his biggest issue all year is setting those moving screens that, that get an offensive foul going the other way and a turnover. Um, that's something that Kithier was pretty good at. So, you know, I think that, you know, that's one guy that, quietly i think they may be missing a little bit here's the thing there is not very talented right michigan state's more talented than penn state michigan state's bigs are more talented that's the frustrating like i watched three-fourths of that game and i'm thinking it's a good thing they didn't get this guy out of the portal man that guy misses layups his arms are short guy's built like me but he's 6'10 like you know but what he is is he's relentless in effort right and he rolls hard and, yeah. and eventually that wears on guys i don't think you can win at a huge level with him either <laughs> and that's why Penn State doesn't win at a really high level. But they won this game, and, and he does give them – and I think that's part of the frustration for Rizzo. Julius Marble is a better player than Hare. Uh, again, there's a mindset that you have to have and a mindset that some of these guys have been around the program for a while should have by now, and, and you, you just can't – you can't teach it. You either gain it through experience. And I think the hard part for Marcus Bingham is that playing like that hurts. Like when you're built like Bingham – that hurts. If you're built like Hera, yeah, you want to plow into people. You have very little skill otherwise. That's your game. If you're Bingham, and I'm not saying he shouldn't, because his best games and his best moments this year have been when he's really been giving of his body. But it takes a certain you know effort and 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 pain and sacrifice to do it. And uh, but he does. I mean, he does not roll enough to the rim. Um, it's just not in his nature. And it's you know there are elements of that that I'm sure are, are frustrating for. Uh, for Izzo and I, and you know, and I, I mean, while the bigs struggled and the offensive rebounds were were, were were an issue, you know, I really think, you know, the, the inability to, like a, a, t- a team with veterans at home like Penn State is going to make a run. They're not just yeah. going to get beaten out of their gym. So that run in the second half where they're hitting shots is going to come. They're not going to miss shots all game. You've got to counter it by not having empty possessions. And Michigan State against Maryland and Michigan State against Penn State goes on these really long th- – it's just their half-court offense doesn't give them much. They weren't able to get out in transition like they were last time they played Penn State. 
And, um, you know, they don't have a ton of guys who, who create consistently on their own. I think Max Christie's a guy who'll be able to do that. I think we see that from Malik Hall a little bit. They threw it in the post and had some success. Gabe Brown's not that guy. He can get the ball coming off the screen, headed downhill. Uh, he can take a, you know, a three-pointer, you know, if he's – and so I think part of the problem is Michigan State's seniors just also aren't that good. And and it's not that they're not – wouldn't be decent in certain roles, but they're not at the level that right. that, that MSU was hoping they'd, they'd grow into. And, um, and I – Role you know, players. What's that? Yeah. yeah look, they're role Gabe, players. Gabe Brown is – I mean, everybody likes Gabe Brown. Gabe Brown wants this so badly. This senior year – Got off to such a good start for him. And that's where it's a little interesting. Pre-Big Ten, and I know the competition's different, but they played some good teams. I thought his aggressiveness and his willingness to take big shots and to sort of carry them in tough moments against Nebraska at home, and I know it's Nebraska at home, but Michigan State looked really flat out of the gate, except for Gabe Brown, who made sure that didn't turn into a disaster, right? And and he has not been able to to keep that going. And, and I, you know, it... It just is what it is. You, you gotta gotta lean on other people at this point. I want to kind of go back to the the Bingham thing because I think the last segment that he was in, it was about a two minute segment. He wasn't even matched up with Hare, and Hare early in the game was giving him trouble on both ends. Uh, particularly when Bingham would try and post up, he was bodying him out of the post and pushing him farther out away from the lane, which probably caused some of those fadeaways. But but the last two minute stretch where he struggled was against a 6-8-205 transfer from Canisius, Jelani White. And that's, I think, the frustration point where Izzo got with him and sent him to the bench because, I mean, this is a guy that's seven foot two fifteen that should be able to handle that, and Bingham was getting folded over like a nap. He, you know who he reminds me of right now? Just watching him try and post up in the paint and, and try and uh, establish position and struggling is – and this this will take you back a little ways and go to the women's team is Alyssa DeHaan. Um, you know, yeah. it, 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 just the, you know, the inability for him to gain weight and a lot of muscle um, and, and get up to that 230 or whatever I think you would need with his seven-foot frame, it, it it's causing him problems again, um, and particularly with the post-up because that's what, you know, that's where Marble has that sturdy body and you saw him, maintain position in the half court and and be able to score inside the 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 key and, and, so and bingham's getting pushed out the problem is that you're relying too much on those guys like i think if both those guys are back next year they're fine like if i had to guess right now on who comes back i i you know i think marcus bingham probably will i don't know about gabe brown um i'm guessing joey hauser won't but all three of those guys obviously have the option well, Jackson Kohler, Jackson Kohler is going to be a big help because he does have more of a Big Ten style body and, and physical presence. He'll still be a freshman and you'll yeah, still run into the same yeah. kind of, yeah, you'll still run into the same kind of issues you do with any freshman, but you get another body and another guy that, that has the, the ability to anchor himself on the block and stay there and not get shoved out. The big thing is, though, you can get by Michigan State's bigs to me it's, are good enough. They're not great, but they're good enough if you've got the other components and, and, and some days they do and some days they don't. And that's really where it comes down. Like, I mean, if Malik Hall is a consistent 14 points, uh, you know, six for 13 shooting guy, right? Five for 11 shooting guy, 14 points, six rebound guy. Uh, you're okay. If, if, if Max Christie was 
the point in his career where he was low double digits every night, you know, with good for good for a couple threes and and a little more consistency. If Gabe Brown was the 14, 15 point of game player he was early in the year, you're fine. And so I I I think could they be better at that center position? Absolutely. Big men are hard to find. Bingham has been a project that's yielded some dividends at this point. Um, Marble has some has shown some things, but ultimately where where you're falling short is, is just the the inconsistency everywhere else. If you had point guards who truly took care of you and um, and, and and understood how to get you good good shots, uh, you know, on every every you know every you, possession. I, every look, yeah, look at that last that that possession with a minute left that ended with a shot clock violation. Every, I mean there was so much discombobulation and it started with the sideline with Izzo changing the play call and Walker just kind of dribbling halfway through the play clock at that point. And then nobody coming off screens hard Walker trying to create something off a, a screen and then Marble taking a handoff instead and a, and a screen and rescreen and the, the lane wasn't there. So now you're just throwing the ball around the perimeter where guys are just standing still. And you end up with Julius Mar or with with uh, Malik Hall getting the ball in the corner and not knowing where the shot clock was, and trying to get a bounce pass into Marble. Good pass, good shot by Marble, but you got to have presence of mind to know where the clock is. And when you're wasting so much time dribbling out front, um, you know that's where it started. That's why there was two seconds left. So I mean, everything kind of kind of linked together in that, and and we've seen it, and everybody saw it. There, there's a lot of standing around. On the, on the perimeter with, with the wings and with the guards. Um, I, I think that they're, in, in this game in particular, you saw a lot of hesitancy with both passing and shooting. Guys would, would load the shoot and then just stop and allow the defender to close out and then swing the pass to the next guy. And, you know, it, it just looked like a team that lacked all of the confidence. It's also an offense that, you know, we've known this for a long time. It's not the most imaginative offense. It works when you got good point guard play, you know, and it, it or and it works when you got a, a four man who can do things for you. And, and it and and they've had that at times, right? And it, it worked well with Denzel Valentine and it worked well with Cassius Winston. And yeah, uh, Winston and Tillman aren't walking through the door right now no. at this point of the year. And it, it worked well when Draymond Green was on the block, it, you know, and it, it, it's worked well from Kalen Lucas, all that stuff. But and, and and again, I think they've got. I think those two point guards are going to be good point guards, and they sometimes are. And I think the challenge for people is, and this is just an unsatisfactory way of. Is this is a two year group? I really think they'll be contenders next year in the Big Ten. I really think they'll be at another level. I really think you'll see that sweat equity, and you'll see enough go to options and identity that they're missing. All of that, but people, you know, year to year is what. What's what's there? It's just going to take that kind of time to grow into it. They they don't have when you miss on a recruiting. I don't say miss on a recruiting class because they knew what they were getting. None of those guys in eighteen that eighteen class were top fifty guys. Um, but when you don't, when nobody from that class develops into um, a, a front man, you have a year where you risk not having that leader that that. Guy who can carry you, that guy who's who who gives, gets you those you know shots in big moments, and 
and you're sort of developing into the next group in the next year. And so I, I think the hard part is for people to be able to enjoy that, thinking about what's to come and thinking about this as a two-year group and not – the problem with this team is they're so good on certain nights when it all comes together yep. that, that people get hope for now. You know, it would be one thing if you kind of looked at them and went, ah, they're just a year away. That and, and and I think some of that has to do with what Shrewsbury talked about with the, you know, it's again, it's the who do you go to? Who's the guy that you go to when you need the bucket? Who's the guy you go to on the key possession? And and that's what you go back to the Wisconsin game on the road, their best road game of the year. That was Malik Hall just really coming out party in that sense of those baseline, you know, turnaround jumpers and, and the high post stuff. And that, like they, they, they need, um, you know, they had that guy that day when things got a little tight and they have not. And that seen- stuff's all in the scouting report though now. Yep. And you know, how do you adjust to that? And I, I, you know, I said this last week, you know, as much as I mentioned Kith here earlier, this team misses Aaron Henry because he was groomed for that role last year and finally started to emerge as it, um, you know, would the dynamics still work? I don't know. I mean, you know, th- there's no telling, but you know, I think that's, that's who the guy that Aaron Henry became last year. And I, I, I also think why they were able to make the run they did down the stretch last year, as much as it was about what Henry did on the court, I think it was what Joshua Langford brought off the court in terms of leadership. And they don't have that kind of leader with this group either. Well, Graham, you beat me to two points I was going to, to bring up uh, right when you said and the first one was about uh, just Brown, Brown and Bingham just, you know, ultimately maybe not being that good. And that kind of ties into the other point I was going to make that you said about the 2018 recruiting class. I mean, that's a fi- that's a five player recruiting class and you hit with Henry. But the other four guys, Brown, Bingham, Kithier and Foster Lawyer, uh, even if they aren't all top 50 guys, you figure if you're Michigan State, you've got to hit. On at least one, if not two, of those guys, and, and ultimately, I don't know if they did that. You know, that didn't matter in 2019 when they made the final four, or 2020 when they had a chance to make a big run before the pandemic hit. But uh, I mean, that's five out of 12 players on your team. That's a that's, that's a huge that's a, that's a pretty big miss if you, if your time is out. And, and those were guys that were with Brown and Bingham that were expected to be guys who developed towards this part of their career, and they just haven't developed on that same trajectory as some other guys have. And you know, I think. The thing that's frustrating, I think, just from from my end as, as as a guy who likes watching basketball, is I see Gabe Brown with the ball in his hands at times, attack the middle, off the bounce, and he's got such spring and such explosiveness. But how often do you see it? I mean, he'll catch the ball on the wing and just be looking to shoot, but when he attacks, uh, he's a different player when he attacks, kind of like Aaron Henry, you know. Henry was more of a below-the-rim guy when he would do that and, and kind of create for guys, but Brown's a guy that when he can when he puts the ball on the deck and attacks can can finish at the rim, and we just don't see that that often. That's a development thing to me. I don't know. It, you know, How do you coach that guy to, to have that mindset? And I think there's still some missing of not having that summer between 2020 and 2021 for a couple of these guys as well. Yeah, I, I agree on that, Miss Summer. I think that Malik Hall is, is a little bit behind where he'd be uh, if they'd had that. And I also think, you know, with, with, with Gabe, you know, one of the hard things is you. everybody knows it internally. Like you, there's a point where you're a player where you understand that I'm not the best athletic option here. So do I really go do that? You know what I mean? Like, like Max Christie is a more talented player than Gabe Brown. Now he's a freshman who's hit a wall a little bit, you know, and, and, and there are things that strength-wise he just can't do. Um, Malik Hall is, is, is shown some things that, that, that 
you know, and, and, and the, the big problem I think for, for Dave is just that, you know, he, his real, his strengths don't include ball handling and that limits you, you know, in, in, a, in a smaller, and a better player version of that, that really limited Miles Bridges um, while he was at MSU. And, and, and I don't, I mean, he was an unbelievable player, right? He was an all conference guy. But he was, he was better served. MSU would have been better served. Perhaps Izzo's most talented team in seventeen eighteen, uh, partly and partly, you know, ran into that Syracuse team in that bad day. But that whole team never is many won thirty games, won a Big Ten title, but never looked as good as their parts. In part because I thought the ball was too often in, in Miles Bridges' hands, and there were things he couldn't do yet instead of Cassius Winston's. And, and Bridges would have been better on the block. The problem is you had a million big men, and that wasn't going to happen with him at the four. And there were a lot of reasons for it. But I think you see well, that with Dave Brown a little bit, whereas he's just not um, – he, he's not able to create for himself or others off the bounce. Well, even with Jaron Jackson that year, um, he had – I keep coming back to a play that he had at Minnesota where he had the ball at the top of the key, put it on the deck, and drove by guys, and you're just like, that's an NBA move and he needs to do that more often. But when you saw him do that against Syracuse, he was dribbling into the teeth of a two, three defense and going right up into three guys with their arms in him. So it's just a, it's amount of basketball and, and knowledge and IQ and just the amount of reps you get to learn those sort of things. And now you see him in the NBA and he's doing it on the regular. And that's, you know, that's part, of the problem, part of the problem in college, right? Is you get these guys at certain stages of their development, Jaron Jackson, as much as he, um, people talk about that game against Syracuse. He wasn't ready yet to do that. I mean, in a locker room, he, he, he was not the player yet who could counter that. And, and also, side note, Syracuse should not be allowed in the NCAA tournament. That's, let's start there. <laughs> you, you, you just hate the 2-3 zone. I hate the, I hate the zone. First of all, it, it, it ruins basketball. Like, from an aesthetic standpoint, college basketball is already borderline unwatchable. It's only on television because people care so much about their schools. But if you were to like watch team handball in the Olympics or uh, fifth level soccer, like aesthetically, college basketball isn't close. And Syracuse makes it worse. It's not a watchable sport when Syracuse plays it. And the bigger issue with that is that it's not even that effective. All year, they haven't. When is the last time they did anything in the ACC? It's just Beheim coaching 19, 17 win teams that get into the NCAA tournament and then make a run because nobody's been playing against that. The ACC has no problem beating it. Uh, it's just like, all. I mean, it, it's brilliant if you want to be sort of lazy as a 70-year-old coach and keep coaching. And, because, and, and But, like, it's not. And, and, and every year they, they they reel off, you know, four NCAA tournament wins that they, they couldn't do if they had to play. They should have to play an ACC team in the first round of every NCAA tournament. Just, just <laughs> that, that would be this my is, this is, You play a 2-3 zone. You have to play a conference team in your first round of the postseason. This is best served for the uh, Troy Nunes is a magician podcast. <laughs> that was that's been on my chest for a while. As Syracuse, like if I will not watch if I if I'm watching a game and I'm like, oh, they play a two three zone. No way in heck I'm watching that game. I so side side note, I I actually used to ref Troy Nunes in basketball, so <laughs> there was there was that. He's a Butler kid. It is funny that despite saying all this, this team is not that far away from. Being twenty-one and four, you know the missed three throws in the final seconds and losses right. to Northwestern Illinois. And if they don't blow the Penn State game on Tuesday, they're sitting twenty-one and four. Now that doesn't take away 
the Rutgers and Wisconsin performances, maybe more specifically the Rutgers performance, but still, this is still a team that, despite the uh, the struggles that we see from game to game, this team can still put a run. It feels like it can still put a run together. I don't know. I, I was just trying to spin from all the negative talk to maybe something slightly, slightly positive. That's all. <laughs> yeah, that, I mean, that Rutgers game now, when you see what they've been doing since then, yep. kind of makes a little more sense because, again, another team with a lot of seniors, some fifth-year guys with Baker, and some size with Omaru, Omaru, Omaru Hare, whatever you want to call him. Um, you know, Omaruyu and, uh, you know, Ron Harper. I mean, they've, they've got a lot of talent and, you know, I think Izzo has been, I think one thing with Izzo is that there's probably some frustration with knowing how close they are to having that 21 and four season, but also he's been pretty transparent about, you know, the fact that any team in the big 10 can beat any team on a given night. There's probably more parity than a lot of people thought. And we're seeing it play out is, you know, every, every front runner, Illinois loses at, uh, Illinois loses at Rutgers. So, I mean, you know, this is, this is a little bit deeper conference than a lot of people thought, maybe not as good top to bottom, but definitely a lot more parity. Uh, so, you know, but the, but you're right. I mean, I think that's where the frustration is coming from with Izzo and with fans is that when they had that nine game winning streak and you saw the wins mounting and mounting and mounting, regardless of who the opponents were, um, there was a vibe that was that was building and there was a bar that was being reestablished at that point of expectations and now we're seeing it the expectations probably come a little bit closer to what they were before the season right now and that's probably where the frustration point is with everybody i got a dm from one of our loyal listeners uh by the name of cole pearson and i want to read it out to you guys and i want to see what your take on this is i think i know where you're what you're going to say but i'm going to put it out here anyway uh cole writes after watching the past couple of seasons of MSU basketball, it seems as though it's heading down a similar path to D'Antonio's last few seasons at Michigan State. Both have been were hesitant to make changes to the ever-evolving game around them. Coach D was apprehensive to make changes to the coaching staff and offensive strategies, while Izzo has neglected to run a more modernized version of the offense. It seems recruiting has also played a factor in these recent woes, as well as there have been a number of recruiting misses on the basketball side. While it seemed D'Antonio put less and less emphasis on the recruiting trail in his later years. Graham. Thoughts? Yeah, I mean, and I understand. I don't know how old Cole is. Um, you know, th- th- there are a couple things to think about that are different. Um, one, I, I disagree on the recruiting front. Max Christie's a freshman. He's a five-star kid that got over Duke out of the Chicago area where Izzo used to not be able to recruit that well. Um, so that's, you know, that's an example of somebody they just lured that, you know, they got the Mr. Basketball in the state, Pierre Brooks. Jay Nakins had a lot of options, top 50 type kid. Like recruiting, I don't think recruiting has fallen off. Are there classes here and there? I mean, they just got Jeremy Fears Jr., top 30 point guard coming in in a couple of years, four-star kid coming in next year. I, I don't. I disagree on recruiting. I, the 2018 class is hurting them. They've had classes here and there where, you know, the um, the tum-tum, um, Javon Bess, you know, Gavin Schilling, uh, Alvin Ellis era of, of, of things when they first started missing out in Chicago kids. And a lot of that is, though, when you – you look at certain classes, look at the state. What Izzo's strength has always been fence around the state of Michigan. And I, and I know Juwan Howard threatens that a little bit uh, and maybe and, and doing some things in a four hour radius other than Chicago. And every year he's had a struggle in recruiting class. I mean, look how bad the state of Michigan is in high school basketball right now in that in a certain class. And, and, that, and you'll see where there's a gap and why they have to go. You know, and so I, I think who he's always been able to be and who he's been in recruiting, I, I don't think that's 
lessened. I think that's different than D'Antonio. I think there's still a drive that I don't think he's run out of steam. And, and, and he now the offensive complaints are legit, and, and he hasn't, you know, he had a chance to this offseason to, you know, do something different there, and has chosen not to. He's in the Hall of Fame for his defense, and his offense at times um, can be frustrating. The thing I would also caution is the major difference. Like MSU is very likely to slide out of being an elite program post-Izzo. They are a one-coach program in many ways. Every expectation you have for Michigan State basketball was created by Tom Izzo. Now, you can argue that to D'Antonio in a shorter spurt, but this was a middling Big Ten program that spent a couple years every four years in the NIT and is just as likely to go back to that post-Izzo. So frustrations here and there are warranted. But I just think it's different, and 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 Michigan State maybe they'll hit a home run, but none of that stuff's guaranteed. Anybody that says that about this team doesn't remember how the 2019 season transpired, the 18-19 season when first they lost Joshua Langford, they had to adjust, and then they lost Nick Ward for a long stretch, and they had to adjust. Um, to say that Tom Izzo can't and won't adjust is a fallacy. And you're just not looking at recent history and you're not, you're, you're constantly thinking with blinders on here because he's done that. And I think he even did that in the Indiana game. I think he said that they, they went back to a little bit more uh, away from the, the similar ball screen action that they had and went to some different stuff that they had previously run before. So, I mean, he's able to adjust. I don't think that's necessarily the case. And I agree with you on the, the recruiting side. I mean, listen, you know, the, Max Christie's a five-star. I mean, they're in, they're in the mix for every five-star kid. And, and if they're not five-stars, they're getting four-stars who are, are bigger upside developmental guys. Now, are you going to miss on guys? Of course, because you don't have 120 roster spots. You have 11, 13 scholarships. And, you know, that's, there's going to be a lot of really good players out there that you're not going to get. Um, so I think people are looking at that 18 class when they say that and not looking maybe at the, the guys who have come since, you know, the 1920 class. Listen, Rocket Watts was a four-star kid. Didn't work out. That happens sometimes. Um, you know, the, there are guys that you're going to miss on because there aren't a lot of scholarship spots available. So, but at the same point, you know, that I, I think people are just, you know, maybe they're looking at the Bridges and, and Jackson class and thinking that that's an every year thing and forgetting that that was kind of an anomaly at that point. And this program was built in the much the same way that Izzo has built it all along. Yeah, he got local kids and, and you know, Miles Bridges, Flint kid, you know, Cassius Winston, Detroit kid. Now, now Langford was a weird situation because he was a kid who was obsessed with Big Ten basketball. And Alabama, uh, Nick, Nick Ward, within the uh, four-hour radius that he often does. And if you – like Michigan State does not – like in the pecking order, in the food chain sort of recruiting, there's no question that Duke, uh, Kansas, Kentucky get a little more than MSU. But if, everywhere else, MSU eats. Uh, ask Indiana about Gary Harris, how frustrating that is. Purdue and the number of times yeah. those, he's gone in, in, in Ohio and, 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 and taking kids that they wanted. And, and so in, in the Big Ten world – uh, he, he certainly recruits at the top of the food chain. And so I, I just, I just think that, you know, look there, there, it, it is, I think it is fine to have frustrations with an Izzo team or him. That's hundred percent fair. But I think from a big, uh, picture perspective, uh, just, you know, uh, the recruiting, I do not think has fallen 
Um, and, and and I think I still think like a year from now, like I look at this as a two year group. I think when you look at the teams that have had a chance, legitimate chance to compete for a final four national title, we're just pre pandemic. That team might have done it. Cash's Winston senior year. That team got to the final four his junior year. The year before that, that team had enough talent to do it. Two years before that, uh, that team that lost to Middle Tennessee was, was in position. Uh, the team before that was overachieved, made a Final Four. I don't consider that a national title contender. But two years before that, the 13-14 team, if not for Appling's injury. So every couple years, at least, he's in position to compete for it. And I think next year's team will be another one of those teams. Well, and I think the other thing to keep in mind, too, when you're making this comparison, I don't think the change in college basketball is nearly as seismic as the change in college football. I mean, when you're talking about going from being a run-dominant game to a pass-dominant game and the 11 pieces are involved in that versus the five players in basketball and what what what's really changed? Movement. I mean, motion offense has been around for for decades, right? It's not like a lot of that has changed. The passing and moving the ball and all those things are still there. Um, you know, Izzo's always adapted to that. And, and Izzo always wanted to play more of that up-tempo run and push-and-pass style, but the Big Ten sometimes doesn't allow that because everybody's got their scouting report and they play each other twice a year almost. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's an apples-to-oranges comparison, but I also don't think from, from a perspective standpoint or even a perception standpoint that, that it's really kind of the same. All right, well, let's turn our attention forward to the Spartans' next two games. They will host Illinois on Saturday and then travel to Iowa City on Tuesday for a game against Iowa where they will retire Luca Garza's jersey. And I'm a little mad at Iowa for not also retiring uh, my fellow DeKalb High School graduate Luke Recker's jersey, which they should definitely do. Completely unbiased opinion. But uh, anyway, I digress. Let's talk about Illinois. This is the, uh, the transfer portal. The transfer <laughs> portal is such a new problem in yes. college basketball, isn't it? Yeah, that transfer definitely didn't happen in 1999. or <laughs> so, mm-hmm. <laughs> Exactly. But uh, yeah, Illinois is the beginning of a very tough stretch here for the Spartans. We got Illinois, Iowa, Purdue, Michigan, Ohio State uh, in the next five games. So uh, what do you want to see or what do you expect to see from, from the Spartans this weekend? Well, I expect them probably come out and beat Illinois, just the, the sort of the <laughs> seesaw trend. Yep. But actually, this will be an interesting game because, first of all, this is a five-game stretch that is just absolutely brutal, right? It's it's Illinois uh, at home and telling. Uh, Illinois at home at Iowa on a night that they're finally retiring Roy Marble's jersey, but already Luca Garza makes no sense. Um, and then, you know, you go to uh, uh, you get Purdue at home. And then you get Michigan and Ohio State on the road the following week. Like, just absolutely brutal stretch. But this game in particular, I think, uh, last time they played Illinois, Illinois, Curbella wasn't playing and Kofi wasn't playing. So how they handle those guys, how they handle Kofi. And I know Rutgers just ran Illinois off the court. But Rutgers is running everybody off the court right now. They're like the best team in the country right now. So that's – that's. Uh, but I am very curious to see matchup-wise – how Bingham, how uh, Julius Marble, and, and if Sissoko has to play minutes, how they deal with a Kofi Coburn who, who they have not dealt with. I mean, he's a different player than a year ago. He's potentially the Big Ten player of the year. Um, and so, and, and I, I just, I, you know, I, I'm curious just, you know, as well as they played at home at times, this is not Indiana. Um, this is this is not even Michigan, the, the Michigan team that struggles at times. This is a little different 
little different beast. I expect they'll play well, but I, I don't know if that'll be enough. And, and I, I think they'll lose at Iowa. That seems like an emotional Jersey retiring night on the road. <laughs> Tuesday night in Iowa City. I, I just I can't picture it going well. This is maybe the biggest physical and emotional test for this team this year. And I think that's, you know, you, you, the physical test is obvious. You know, you add Curbelo, you add Kofi. Um, that's, that's a difficult task. That was going to be a difficult task in Champaign. Uh, and they, they couldn't get that game without them there. Um, now you get them on, on this end coming off a loss, and, and you better bet that, that Illinois is going to be amped up. Um, you know, I think that's, that's going to be, that's going to be a game where Breslin has to be a deciding factor if Michigan state wants to win it. I mean, they, they need to be, this team is struggling to create its own energy. Um, it's coaches struggling to kind of get the energy from the players. I think that, that, that third factor has to be the crowd kind of making a difference and rattling Illinois in a lot of ways. And it could be done. I mean, you know, Rutgers showed it because the rack is a hard place to play when that place gets jumping. And I think Breslin could be the same way. And I think that this team has fed off that at times. I don't necessarily know if this year it's, it's, it's really had that kind of moment other than the Michigan game. And that's the kind of crowd it needs to be uh, for a noon game on a Saturday, the Iowa game. I, I wouldn't even worry about that at this point. You can't think too far ahead at this group. It's got to be a one game at a time thing, which is the utmost in cliches, but, I mean, you're coming off what is an emotionally deflating loss at, at Penn State because of the way you played, because of the lack of energy, because of the lack of intensity, and because of the lack of physicality. Um, you need all of that in abundance to, to beat Illinois, and then you worry about Iowa and, and trying to sum that up, summon that up on the road because you know it's going to be a hornet's nest there. Um, so the energy will be there from the other end, and you'll feed off that as being the black hat in the building. So you know, I think this is a game that, you know, you have to kind of right some of the wrongs and, and play a game much closer to what you did in that first game against Wisconsin in home. Yeah, we should mention that. Uh, Roy, Roy Marble's jersey is also getting retired in that Iowa game. So Right, right. You know, that, that's, what, that's what's puzzling. No disrespect to the Marble family. <laughs> Roy Marble, who, who lived his final months in Lansing when his uh, son Carlo was in right. for a bit. And like, Roy Marble, you know, what I don't get is how you're doing Luca Garza on the same day as Roy Marble. Like, I know Luca Garza is going to have his number retired. I, I can't stand these places that do it the next year. Like, let some – and I'm not saying recency bias would prevent you from doing it. But make it a thing – make the appreciation grow. Make five years later like the – like, it's not like Luca Garza was Michael Jordan. The man got upset in the second round of the NCAA tournament. Like, I mean, you know, I, I don't I, – I just don't – I don't think uh, Yeah, but I I could make the same the same uh case for Cassius Winston having his jersey retired last year or this year. You know what I mean? I mean it's you know, yeah, there might be some recency bias, but you're still talking about an all time program great that was an all American Big Ten player yeah. of the year type guy. So I mean, you know, they're those kind of guys are special. No, they are. They are. Valentine was that guy too, though. And his, you know, and, and so was, you know, they've had, you know, it took Draymond was that guy and Draymond wasn't retired for a while. And Sean Respert was that guy. And it took them, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know. It just seems like a, a precedent that forces you to really evaluate people quickly. Yeah. But I also think that tw the way 2020 went and how everything got shut down, I think that somewhat plays a factor for these guys as well. Um, they never really got their last run. So, yeah. 
you know, that I think, you know, the circumstances may be a little different just because of that. You're worthless, Luca Garza. That's the takeaway from the Spartan Speak podcast. <laughs> Nobody said that. <laughs> no, I'm just joking. He did win National Play of the Year last year, too, as well. But like you said, Denzel Valentine did, too. And I don't know if they, they Michigan State even ever retire his number. I don't know. Does Michigan State really retire uh, yeah. numbers? You said Draymond, right? Yeah, they do. They do. They've got him up there. Skiles is retired and Cleves. And it wasn't that long ago they retired Peterson. And uh, I know Izzo on Izzo on his radio show said that um, they're bringing back Zach Randolph maybe this weekend for the alumni or maybe the week after for Purdue. And that'll be the first time he's been back in a long time. He only played one year, so his number wouldn't be up there, even though he went on to such tremendous. He's like in the, in the same zone as Kevin Willis. He's had a much better NBA career than he did as a college player. Um, in terms of accolades, and there are certain accolades that you need to reach to to get your number and name up in the rafters uh, at the college level. So, you know, I, I you know I think that Winston and, and Valentine are right there with the next wave of guys. Um, Bridges, will be Bridges, Bridges, Bridges will too. Yeah, yeah. Yep. that's going to be an interesting one. Two years, um, you know, but the All American accolades are there. So, I don't know. But those other two, I think, are slam dunks at some point. All right. Well, let's go get official here and get your predictions for these next two games, Graham. I, I'm not going to pick MSU in either one of them. Um, I mean, I, you know, I know the Vegas line is is pretty, you know, is pretty um, pretty even. It's going to be on this one. It's going to be around one minus one for Illinois. Pick them something in that range. But I, you know, I, and I and I know that's sort of playing off how MSU is playing. But MSU has not beaten a team with this sort of physical. I'm very curious to see how MSU does and where their heads are right now. And, and, and um, it, it seemed like a different, like, you know, I mean, what happened the other night was, I mean, keep in mind, like, if you're wondering what sort of headspace things are, not since Chris and I, or even Joe Rexrode was covering this team, has anybody remembered a time when he has not let players speak for themselves after a bad loss? That's how frustrated and how, uh, deeply unique this situation is. And so I, uh, and, and I don't, I don't, uh, you know, picking them to win at Iowa would be a, a bit much too. Uh, I, you know, I, I think in a produced <laughs> Ohio State may be playing as good as anybody in the Big Ten. Uh, you know, it, it's a it's a rough stretch. If they if they wind up with two wins in this stretch, that would be impressive. And um, and uh, I would I would think uh, um, one would even be if they play okay, certainly tolerable. Yeah, I, I I can't sit here and and tell you what the the next game's going to be like um, against Iowa because I think it's going to be uh, as we've seen all year. It's, I think it's it it changes so rapidly with how and what this team does. Honestly, though, I you know this is still a team that in the first half against Baylor put together one hell of a performance, and people kind of forget that that maybe you know, one of their best achievements thus far. I mean, just looking up and down, I mean, Butler's a 500 team now and Louisville's sub 500. So, you know, some of those non-conference wins that, that were out there, um, you know, maybe, maybe one of the best ones is the, the, uh, the Loyola game uh, in hindsight a little bit. They're, they're the one team and Connecticut even has fallen off, um, you know, but that Baylor game, you know, they showed that they can play with size in a, against a team and, and do some things in that first half, but they got to do it for a full 20 minutes or a full 40 minutes, not just 20 minutes. And, 
you know, can it be done against Illinois? Yes. Will it be done? I don't know. I, I, I think it comes down to the, to the crowd factor and the emotion coming off that loss. And can they, can they amplify it? Even if it is just for one night, uh, one afternoon, uh, you know, I, I think Illinois wins it. Um, but even if Michigan state has another, has a strong showing and, and puts together some things that are going to help them in those last five games after that, um, you know, it's hard to kind of, kind of, predict out what's going to happen at Iowa because of all those other factors we just talked about. If you Spartan Speak listeners are disheartened by Graham's and Chris's predictions here, please note that last week Graham said that Purdue would not lose another game in the Big Ten and then hours later got routed by Michigan. So, hmm. That's interesting. Just uh, this, You look at the standings in the Big Ten, they tell you a lot about where this conference is. Well, there's four teams with four losses, two with five, and two with six. They tell you that Rutgers is a game out. That's right. You know, Rutgers is right there with Michigan State. I wonder where they'd be if Miles Johnson had not transferred to UCLA, where he started the first handful of games and lost his starting spot. So They're playing strong basketball right now, and that's all that matters. 13-2 and two at home. Well, I don't think we have a lot of football notes. The only thing that's happened since we last recorded was Parks Gissinger entered the transfer portal. The only thing of note of that is it's the third tight end to enter the portal in a position that don't think they were already deep in to begin with, so I don't know. Is there anything uh, anything there at all, Chris, or are we yeah. ready to move on? They, they, well, they brought in the Illinois transfer to help offset that, and I think that's a lot bigger of a deal than, than Parks Gissinger going to the portal. We're going to see guys go into the portal that haven't been playing much, and he's one of those guys. At one point, I think he was a defensive end, and then they switched him to tight end, and then he was a backup long snapper. So, I mean, that's not, you know, it's a depth, depth loss, big deep depth loss but um you know i i think that the bigger thing is that they're starting in their off season they're, they're deep into their off season training they're getting ready for spring ball to start um you know it, it'll be interesting to kind of keep watch to what other components they may or may not add uh from the portal coming down the stretch and they've been turning their attention a lot towards the 2023 recruiting class so that's kind of where football is right now there's a lot of a lot of buzz i think and you know, I think some of it's warranted because um, I think that there's energy in the recruiting trail. Um, but energy in the recruiting trail always comes after a strong season, um, and particularly if you're able to sell your program like Mel Tucker has been doing. So, the, one of those proof in the pudding things. Let's see. Let's see duplicating it year two. Um, let's see with with what the new coaching staff with with Brandon Jordan and Marco Coleman on the defensive line and you know some of the other components that they've brought in uh how how things change and 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 what those guys add because they've added energy on the recruiting trail now you got to do it on the coaching side yeah uh i want to end the podcast with a random story here uh when you guys i think this is a national thing when you guys were in elementary school did you guys have to participate in the young authors program where you had to write your own write like your own story or your children's story I, it's possible. I, I have no idea. I wrote a biography on John Elway at one point. I have no idea. <laughs> uh, I, I wrote. I wrote two. I wrote two children's books that my kids now have. <laughs> well, it's funny you say that, Graham, because in second grade, I you remember when we were kids, they had those books where uh, it was just like, "Here's a bunch of good NFL players, I have, like NFL stars of today, or something." It would be called, and I did that yeah. in second grade. I did that in second grade as my as my young author's book. I just 
picked out a bunch of my favorite NFL players and wrote, a book, wrote one of those things. Not go very well. Anyway, I do have a reason to bring this up. Chris, you mentioned Canisius randomly earlier in the podcast. So the the Griffins. Yes, I want to say my in fourth grade, my young author's book was a. I wrote a story about a NCAA college basketball team that went winless in the regular season and then somehow won their conference tournament and then won the NCAA tournament. And do you know what school I used in my story? Probably the Canisius, Canisius Golden Griffins. Good job, guy. Good job. Yes, uh, that was a pretty easy one. But, uh, yeah, that was uh, – That's outstanding. Uh, yes. Uh, hilarious that uh, whatever – a ten, nine or ten-year-old me was like, yeah, I understand how the conference tournament and the NCAA tournament works, and uh, that mm-hmm. speaks to how big of a sports dork I am and was. And uh, that story also did not win any awards to – Absolutely no one's a surprise. Canisius was the one Division One school I had any sort of remote baseball interest from. True story. Well, you you were an elite baseball player as a youth. I've I've heard the stories, right? I was above average. I wouldn't say elite. So hopefully we're gonna duck and dodge some of these uh these snowflakes that are coming and you know for all that we've talked about Tom Izzo not having the players available uh, at Penn State, they will be available Thursday afternoon uh, at, at practice. It, it's back to normal in, in terms of that. So again, you know that was an instantaneous, momentary thing that you know I think Izzo was just trying to to express some frustration and get his players pointed in the right direction. And you know this is this is the reason it was an issue. And I don't even know if issue is the right word. The reason why it was such an interesting thing and why it was such a topic was because that's something Tom has never done. And, you know, he's, he's very big on accountability for his players to be able to answer those questions. And as always, even back to media day this year, talk about how having an open locker room and having guys available is important for their development as people. And particularly guys that go on to the next level and have to have interviews in, in the pro locker room on a daily basis. So, just a one-time thing, but still one of those things that kind of catches you by surprise a little bit. Yeah, no, it may, and look, it made for a better story, frankly. There's nothing those players could have said that would have been more interesting than that. Um, you know, I, I it certainly made for a better column. And the uh, and you're right. I mean, we just, he just it, it. There have been far more chaotic times in which it, players have been made available, and so that made it interesting. That spoke to how unique and difficult this is right now for him. All right. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Spartan Speak, a production of the Lansing State Journal, Detroit Free Press, and the USA Today Network. If you enjoy this podcast and the work surrounding it, please consider subscribing. You can follow our coverage at lsj.com, freep.com, and on Twitter at Graham underscore Couch, at Chris Solari, at Phil underscore Friend, and LSJ Greenwhite. Thanks for listening. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.